This podcast is sponsored by King Manual Therapy, restoring function to body and voice. joined by Zena Gustar. Did I say your name right? You said it perfectly. <laughs> Absolutely perfectly. Even you just told me, I was like, we had a little rehearsal, but um, we got Gold there. <laughs> so Zena is a choreographer and presenter who was the resident and associate choreographer on Bat Out of Hell. She was the choreographer and movement director of the Renault Clio television advert broadcast, <laughs> which is cool. And she's previously been in the bodyguard in Cologne, Germany as a performer. Zena also set up her own company called Zena Productions. Hello. Hi. How are you? Hi, ladies. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it always feels weird with this because we always have a chat before. And then it's like, like oh, we've, done, shit, we've we have done all that the bit. <laughs> so, Zena, we always start with the word association game. Right. So, the first thing that comes into your head as quickly as you possibly oh, goodness, can. Are you right, ready? Okay. okay. I'll, make like sure games? I'll make sure it's not rude. No, no, no. <laughs> we, we, we put uh, one of those little E things, like explicit. Yeah, so you oh, can swear right, okay. Fab. Because we swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm amazing. Awful. Okay, so dancing. Oh, nice. Meatloaf. Bat out of hell. Fashion. Is great. Ballroom. Come dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Bubble bath. Never have them. Oh, I know, I know. I'm not a bath person. Oh, fair. Are you shower girl? I love a shower. I mean, I, how other way would I you do wash? wash myself? <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> Happiness is great. Family, <laughs> everything. Day off, never. Wine, <laughs> always. Yes. yes. That was really speedy, actually. Goodness, I felt a bit stressed. So, Zena, it is lovely to have a fellow Scot on the podcast again. We always love it. Um, can you tell us how you got involved with the arts? Just talk to us about your journey up until this point. Right, so I started quite late, actually. I didn't start dancing until I was about 13, 14, which is quite late for a girl. Actually, I might have been about four, near 14, 15. Um, and sort of took to it like a duck to water. Loved it. Like, I just loved being really physical and... Um, and actually I grew up with a disabled brother so I never really was kind of like allowed to be like really physical and jump around and things but I always wanted to so then when I went to dance class I was suddenly like getting praised and I was quite okay I was quite good at it and suddenly someone was like yeah yeah keep doing this keep doing this so that's kind of how I fell in love with, with movement and dancing and sort of being like praised for being good at something physical um, and then I went to Dance for All, which is in Edinburgh, for two years. Did a couple of years there just to get my dancing and my technique up and sort of like performance skills. Mm. Then I went to Lippa for three years and met Paul McCartney and did all that jazz there. Yeah. It was great. But when did I was you there, say musical theatre. Well, they, at that time, back back in the day, yeah. <laughs> um, they didn't even have a musical theatre course. Really? No, it was all contemporary and it was all choreography. So um, we got there and it was all sort of contact improv and then it was, um, you know, like Alexander technique and um, teaching you how to, basically tools on how to choreograph. And at the time I was getting all, me just saying, not having a bath, I was getting all antsy and stuff so I can't sit still long enough. So I would go outside and I, like after class and I would go find other classes to do and start, that's when I started breakdancing. So I just sort of really, had always been interested in the more like modern street dance stuff and then find breakdance and fell in love with that. So I would do like eight till eight, do your, mo- your, your, your ballet, your tap and my jazz and singing. 
and then after all that training I'd then go and bash myself off the concrete floor with some sweaty oh boys <laughs> for like another couple of hours and I did that like almost every single night um, oh. and that sort of developed into this love for hip hop and the culture and the music and the dance um, and then I started to merge that because we started to get some choreogra- uh, choreographics uh, uh, what's the word um, tests and things like they wanted us to make, a perf- make choreography and do some performances with our choreography so I started to blend what I was learning at Lipa, like my jazz and my technique, with the breakdance and stuff that I had, and started to make what was then become what then became known as hip hop theatre. Um, so sort of along the way, was making lots of shows and always choreographing something, and really fell in love with that. Then I graduated and um, sort of really kept on choreographing all the way, like throughout the whole last 12 years, I've always been choreographing something and made my company, mm-hmm. Xena Productions, and that was like a hip-hop theatre show for kids. Yeah. Um, and But at the same time, then I'd be auditioning and I'd go to castings and yeah. do like dance for Rita Ora and then Kyla Minogue, and then I would do like travel to China and then, you know, so I was still performing. And people were kind of always saying to me, oh, you're a bit too young to be a choreographer and I'm not too, you know, it's good, it's good, can you do this? But, you know, they always wanted to sort of... They said you could have to be one or the other. And I was like, can't I just do both? Can't I just choreograph and be a performer? Um, and so I, I sort of always struggled with that, actually, to be... You know, I always wanted to create, but I kind of knew there was a shelf life on being specifically a dancer. So sort of started to push that a bit more for a few years and then went back to... Going back to what I really love, which is being on the other side, actually, and... and being in charge yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, a much absolutely. happier like being on, at the front of the studio sort of delivering what we need to do rather than I was always felt so stressed as a performer yeah. and mm-hmm. like worried that I wasn't getting it right or am I not doing it quite as good as somebody else or am I getting their the, what does the choreographer really want and what did they really think I was, like all this internal mm-hmm. turmoil was going on whilst I was being a performer so then when I started to become more on the, the front side of things I really just felt much more comfortable um, and always had done along the way. I'd always felt more comfortable in that position, but didn't listen to my gut as much because I was listening to what people were saying. Oh, you're a bit too young and you need to do your performing first. And So, yeah, that's kind of how um, I've always done it along the way and just decided um, that it, you know, I really listened to how that was making me feel, how different I felt, like the stress and the, the sort of anxiety I was going through as a performer. You know, was is a different kind of anxiety that I have when I'm leading a, a room mm-hmm. or a rehearsal or a, yeah. whatever that is. So yeah. Wow, that's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, you touched on something um, about the why can't you do both? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll come to that later because we'll talk about your presenting as well. Yeah. Um, was there ever a discussion on mental health throughout your training at Lippa? Ooh. What was the kind of approach to um, mental health at that point? It's interesting you say that. There was never an open discussion, but my sort of jazz teacher took me aside and she says, do you, do you suffer from anxiety or depression? Mm-hmm. And at the time, I didn't really know that I did or didn't. I just mm-hmm. thought that everybody thought like that or that, you know, I was just, I thought it was just normal, yeah. that it was just a normal thought process that everybody goes through. And I thought it was quite odd that she asked me that. She sort of just took me aside and, and I kind of thought, oh, why have you asked that? She says, just because I can see how capable you are and you're like so employable and you can do all these different things and you know, like you're at the top of the class, but you know, I can see that you're really struggling with your own confidence and that my confidence was just absolutely zero. 
Um, and I, I couldn't really answer her. I couldn't really say, yes, I do, because I hadn't really been through that process of maybe talking to about it with someone or mm. really even being self-aware enough to know, mm. you know, maybe that's something I need to think about or look at or or sort of build up my own self-esteem a bit. But super low, like my self-esteem was so low that, you know, I used to like get freaked out when I had to do stuff. On, it was just in twos or threes. And, and he says, you know, you really... I think she was a bit concerned because when it comes to auditions, you always have to do things in yeah. ones or twos or threes, you know? It's just like, she wanted to kind of find out if she could maybe help that in a way. Um, but it was never, there was never like anywhere to go and talk, someone to talk to. It was just like, mm-hmm. just get on with it. You know, mm-hmm. I think that whole hardcore performing arts training is quite like, you suffer, you suffer, you suffer, you get it done and, you know, always with a smile sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was never really anybody to specifically talk about it with anything like that lip. It wasn't mm. offered, but one specific teacher maybe recognised something or saw something that I might have been, uh, you know, suffering from that, maybe more so than other people. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure it was compl- really, you know, uh, rife really within the whole in- institution, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. As we know, like a lot of performing artists suffer from that. So it probably would have helped if there was yeah, someone. Absolutely. And how, how did you approach that um, after the teacher did kind of maybe recognise that and you did you did you get any help or did you um not not doubt not straight away and it was something that it got me even more worried because I thought, oh no, like you know, I thought I thought it was just all in my head and then yeah. I thought if someone else is picking up on this, it it you know, that's the last thing that I wanted mm-hmm. anyone to know that there was might be something wrong or for me to like realized that oh I need to do a bit of work on that um but there was a sort of general counselor person that was available at LIPA but nobody I sort of saw a little tiny little card thing on a notice pinboard somewhere and I was like oh maybe I should go to that um and but it was never like she said to me go speak to this guy he's available for students nothing like that I just happened to see it after we'd had that conversation Mm -hmm. and thought oh maybe that's maybe that I should do yeah, that yeah. you know and that that was the sort of first step of actually talking to somebody about why was my self-esteem so low mm-hmm. when I was getting such good you know grades yeah. as it were and feedback so um, yeah it was kind of the start of getting yeah. to grips with how to develop your self-esteem really yeah. Oh, for sure. yeah so as we spoke about before we started recording you're from Edinburgh slash yeah. near Edinburgh and <laughs> <laughs> um, moving to London is a really big thing for, for anyone it's a huge city but um, it's particularly quite difficult when you can't just go home for tea I'm always quite jealous of my friends whose families live like in the outskirts of London they can mm-hmm. go home for the weekend and spend quite a lot of time there um, how did you find your journey south of the border well when I first moved to Liverpool it was hilarious because one nobody understood me and two people were really scared of me because I was oh! like talking so like I'm from the east coast so it was I came down with this like real sort of hardcore Scottish yes. warrior energy and people were just like oh my goodness who is this and they thought I was like really aggressive and there were people who were a little bit like I'd be talking to them I'd be like alright you know and they'd be kind of backing away like as if I was kind of shouting at them so that was it. really interesting I'd never really spent much time outside of the out of Scotland really mm-hmm. before then and uh, had no idea that like this would even be a thing like the way I spoke or how I spoke yeah. and um, and and that really bothered me because I thought oh like 
you know, and people thought I was from some faraway weird land. I was like, I'm only from Liverpool. I'm only like three hours up the road yeah. or whatever. It's not that far. Um, so yeah, it was quite a shock to my system when I first moved to Liverpool. And also, have you heard Liverpoolians? Yeah, like, right. <laughs> I was like, it's you know. What's it? Black kettle black yeah, and all that. Yeah, kettle, pop black. kettle black. Yeah. Um, I do like the sky sacks. Oh, I, I love it actually. But yeah, not so. You know, to sort of say to someone that's Scottish, you'd be like, "Whoa, yeah. you're being a bit aggressive." Or it's like, like when Yeah, Scouse is. Yeah. I love a Scouse accent, yeah. but it's it's got that same idea of like, um, you know, yeah, if you're yeah. really excited and happy, you sound like you're kind of shouting at yeah, someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was that was quite a big learning curve, I think, and being away. Obviously, at uni, most people move away and have that first experience away from home and then moving to London oh gosh I was in this house that had nine nine rooms um it was in zone one at Elephant and Castle before all the new stuff happened down there um we had rats nothing really worked it was like riddled with damp and I just thought well you know I was like great I'm in London and I just felt fab you know just like got my place and and that quickly wore off that novelty <laughs> of living in zone one and with damp and all that yeah. jazz so I um, swiftly moved out of there but yeah it was like I found the differences in culture actually was like quite a big shock um, and more than I ever thought it would be mm. and like over the years I've just learned to like go you know make fun of it and have fun mm. with that and but that was you know that difference in just how even down to how you speak the things I had to learn over the years to sort of soften how I speak and maybe slow down a bit or use less slang words um so that was kind of like just living and then obviously finding work and you know going into that whole game of the hustle and finding all your agents and and getting involved in the right circles and going to the right classes and it was um yeah, it was it was a lot to take in, you know, it's a lot to do, but it's, yeah, I mean, at, at the time I was just so eager to be here that it sort of was, I was happy to do it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Do you want to chat about the article? It might be a good place to melt into about the working class and how it's... Yeah, yeah, so, so in the Metro there was this article that I read the other day, um, and it was all about um, performers and... <laughs> the crazy instability of the of the industry mm-hmm. and what that does to us as people and as mm-hmm. human beings yeah. um, and it was sort of like it obviously it talked a lot on like the crazy rituals that each person has before a show um, like mm-hmm. down to you know at, like doing it she talked about doing a nervous poo before you go on stage <laughs> oh my god and literally I, I it, personally I call it I've, I've got to do a nervous jobby I'm like I've got to go I've got to do a nervous jobby I've got the runs every time <laughs> like awful why is that it's like this adrenaline. sort of adrenaline yeah. it's like knowing you're going to be judged by what a couple of thousand yeah. people or whatever you know it's like yeah. it's not normal situations yeah. to put yourself in so you know it's this really interesting article about what we go through and and how you like run up so much debt that would make the most normal person run back to their careers advisor and say yes I'll take the normal route Mm -hmm. thanks very much instead of this crazy life but yeah we keep going Um, and it was also just talking about um, working class people that go into the industry and how they're kind of really underrepresented and that that has such a knock-on effect to people's stability and their their like ability to work in such a city like London or say New York or wherever, and it's it it really does affect them. One, it can affect them 
like we talked about going down to the audition like if they've got to pay to go into the audition travel to the audition accommodation whilst they do the audition if they're not from London mm. so all that's cost that even before they even start in the industry yeah. that someone who's you know really not financially capable can't go to it and might miss out on this crazy uh, career that they or this passion that they want to fulfill mm. um, and then obviously after you've you know, let's say you do get through and you, get your, you do your audition and you study and it's all about afterwards, you know, it's such a, we have projects, there's a break and a project and a break, it's that in-between part where mm. a lot of people, some people have financial stability or financial input out from outside and some people don't. So if you're from a working class background, you know, and you don't have that, that um, support coming outside whilst you're in your dry patch, it's, it's, you have to leave the city yeah. or you have to work in a bar. And you, it's like this knock-on effect of what you're not actually able to do because you're having to finance yourself. And personally, I come from a working, background, a working class background and they just could never, like, yeah. along the, the last 10, 15 years, I've been very lucky to not have to really go back to an office job or a bar job. But I've had to find, hustle my way through yeah. lots of different patches in my career where, you know, I need to do like something that's in the creative industry, but maybe not a bar job or a, or a office job, which is also nothing, there's nothing wrong with doing that. There's also a stigma against that yeah. as well. But I mean, what's wrong with pursuing something that's not really your first love to pursue your first love, you know, Yeah. just so you can get that in between stage. But it's, it is quite a, a real, I think, working class artists and people that are working in the creative industry are really underrepresented mm -hmm. by you know by people that have that have either made it and they're you know they're up there high flying with their their leading roles and all that and and, and finances are not a problem for them but people that are really trying to establish establish themselves mm -hmm. get a name for themselves put in that work put in the years that runs up a lot of debt yeah. for people mm -hmm. um, and gets them into all sorts of situations and so I think, yeah. I think, yeah, there's something to really be said about coming from a working class background. It's not just about, you know, because we talked about the fees for universities and colleges. They are capped if you're not, if your family don't earn as much. But what happens when you leave and you're on your own? Mm -hmm. That's exactly. the, that's the tough yeah. bit. Yeah, the toughest bit, actually. Yeah. And it's like surviving your way through that. Yeah. If you've not got that, you know, some financial support, support. outside of your own yeah, Assist, you know, your yeah. own ability. Yeah, absolutely. There's it's something that um, came to mind, I mentioned to Cathy, um, one of my friends, I won't mention her name, um, but she's, you know, one of the most hardworking people that I've ever met. She's spent literally thousands of pounds on classes, gymnastics, like all this stuff to benefit her. You know, she's moved over here um, from a different country, um, had to get a certain amount of money to get a visa and all this, and she's literally like... I've done all this and I'm not getting in any doors mm -hmm. at all. And it's it's that as well of, you know, you do, you work your arse off, you're like 10 grand in debt from, from doing classes, because they are expensive yeah. in London, doing all this stuff to benefit your cre uh, career and get those skills on the CV. And then it's, you, you hit that wall and it's like, well, well you know, she, she is thinking about going back to university and, and studying something else. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's like, no, because you are amazing. It's okay, well, do you do you push do you push through and maybe get yourself into more financial struggle or do you just like when is the right time to go actually I, I need to take enough a step enough. back here yeah. it's, it's that kind of in between line and you know I, I, I said to her I said I think there's a reason why 
a lot of performers who continue to go we all go through this hard bit because it makes us stronger it makes us better it makes us you know fiery because we want it um, and I think it is a test and it's 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 so so hard that we all have to well for the vast majority of us we all go through this really difficult bit of we can't okay we, we don't have money we're we're literally like 10 grand in debt mm. from doing all this stuff and it's mm. it's hard and there is no support there's no support and for it's that. like that have you ever seen that picture where there's a little guy that's digging in the dark yes, and he's underground and then he's about two centimeters away from the diamond and like when you mm. get it right you get mm. it and it can solve it can solve all the things that you've all the struggles you've went through you just keep going yeah. and I do believe in just keep going like mm-hmm. just one step and one foot yeah, in front of the other yeah. and, but I think you've got to weigh it up on your own like like we're talking about mental health For and sure. like I think something that's really not um that I would like to see more of in universities and schools and colleges is like mental stability and yeah. like mental mm-hmm. um robustness like I don't think that's it's you know your body's shaped and to, and your voice and your vocal cords and you know your skill base is like honed within an inch of its life to like mm. get that chiseled six pack and like yeah. or like sing up to that whatever note you need and, mm. and make yourself cry on cue mm. like you learn all that but like what's going on is is the whole thing that's that will help you have a sustainable and long-lasting career is your mental robustness mm. and I think that should be yeah. part of the program and what they teach yeah, these days. Absolutely, like yeah. self, you know, self development and self care and mm-hmm. things like to be okay, not being okay, should be something that's yeah. brought into the curriculum when they're teaching absolutely. young people that are maybe starting at 16, 17, 18. So young. Um, yeah. yeah, and I just think it, it's, it is really hard to go when it's the lean months, you know, and it's you cut back and you have to sell this or do that or mm-hmm. whatever it is you need to do to mm-hmm. get by. Um, and that sort of happening maybe once a year or maybe every three years or you know whatever however lucky you get or unlucky it is it is all part of the process Mm. and it it does make you so resilient I feel like performers can go into almost any industry and be Mm. like and kill it because you've just been through so much rejection you know being objected to all sorts of stuff you can take a load of crap and you Mm. can still take that process it and still give out a really good performance or whatever the job might require mm-hmm, you to yeah, do you have to be a manager you have to understand your taxes you have to there is so like social media manager yeah. these days like you know what I mean you have to do all of these things yeah. and I think mm-hmm. you know sometimes in the past I've thought oh, well, what else would I do like I'm not what would I do I like doing this but I'm not really qualified and it's like these days so I think especially with the way the world's going I think we I would all the skills that we've learned as performers or creatives or just being in the industry is so transferable and I think people need to know that as well that what their worth is you yeah. know know Absolutely. their worth that they have learned a lot and actually everything those that they've had to do can be put into a completely different industry absolutely yeah. my therapist told me that what you just said yeah, yes, boom. Absolutely. There we go. <laughs> but I think there is such a there is a stigma about changing industry when you start in this industry whereas I think when you start in other industries it's like there's not so much of a like my brother started one university course and then moved to another course and that's not so much of a that's like a, oh cool well that's, that's those mm-hmm. transferable skills Ooh. but I feel like you feel like you're giving up if you try and yeah. do something oh, else yeah no 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 I don't I don't think that but like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's kind of like, like a general yeah kind of like stigma yeah even like people skills like yeah, every performer yeah. has great people skills that can be taken into any other mm-hmm. industry yeah apart from maybe one where you don't talk to people but <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Sina, what has your own personal journey with mental health been like? Can you talk us through your experiences, if you feel comfortable yeah. to do so? Well, I mean, I think the first time I sort of realised was actually when my, that teacher said to me at Lippa, yeah. oh, do you by any chance, you know, she noticed something and that's when I thought, oh, okay, maybe maybe this is a bit more obvious than I thought. And it just got it made me a little bit more self-aware. Mm. So then I started to go to the counsellor that was at Lippa after that tiny little business card that I found <laughs> that was like stuck behind four other posters um, and, uh, and and sort of started to realise started to like unpick why like we went back a bit and started to unpick why I might have low self esteem mm. and that kind of came about just from having a disabled brother and how that family dynamic works yeah. out you know yeah. it just was quite difficult and, and, and not really having much support really as much as they could give but it just you know sort of had the knock-on effect was that my self-confidence and self-belief was like pretty low so we started to unpick all that and I thought okay so I thought I started to understand you know a bit more about my background and my upbringing and and sort of tried to use that to I think just generally building your awareness is always a good thing and a good place to start as to why you might think the way you think because our brains can all be programmed and then reprogrammed and then reprogrammed again so it was just a matter of like unpicking the program at that stage um, and then I sort of went um, through a couple of years after I left Lippa of just being an absolute mess like if I'm honest like yeah I was doing like jobs here and there and I was doing this and that but inside I was just riddled with like no self-belief whatsoever and no self-confidence I used to like really hunch over my shoulders and couldn't really like I had like this not split personality but I knew underneath all that there was this like much more I knew there was something else there that was really me and I started to understand that there's a difference between you know all those negative thoughts that you have to act to your real person to your person other personality the, the other side to you so um, I started to become quite aware of that and then it was about 2015 I started to read self-development books like um, The Slight Edge, um, a lot of Tony Robbins stuff mm-hmm. um, and, and just sort of got obsessed with reading about like um, everything self-development and that really, really helped to start the process of really reprogramming so I'd done a bit of unpicking with that counsellor and then kind of like rode the wave of craziness that the industry gives you and just general inside turmoil and then sort of started to yeah I was okay well other people have been through a lot worse than I have and I can really take from what they've been through and just literally follow the techniques on how to reprogram your brain and like and it's just like rewiring that's all I had to do so I, I feel like I'm still on that journey of rewiring how my brain thinks mm. and um, went you know went to Tony Robbins recently went to the UPW event that was at the XL so Amazing. which yeah. was great like that's all about just changing your state and how you could, how to sort of literally break down the, the not scientific but like proven techniques and yeah. ways to, to improve your life and to improve your thought process and how your energy can be, you know, changed in a second, and that's been super useful. Um, and and I just think I I think the minute you start doing like self development, you'll always be on that journey. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's inevitable that once you start to really open up that book, you 
like, oh, there's quite a lot of pages in there and you need to like, you'll never really get to the end, I feel. Yeah. Um, but I um, I would say I'm a completely different person to what I was 10 years ago. Mm. Um, so I'm 33 now, when I was 23, I you know, moved to London. I was just, I think, I think if I was in a normal, let's say, you know, in yeah. inverted quotes, yeah. normal job, it might, it might not have come to a head as much, yeah. but I think coupled with the job uh, that we do mm -hmm. and, you know, the auditions and the rejection that I couldn't mm -hmm. handle, I, I just, it used to tear me up, the rejection. And um, what people would say might, what people might be thinking and I'd like a constant warrior. Yeah. And, you know, people used to say, oh, be, like, be a warrior, not a warrior. And now I, now I always want to be mm -hmm. the, war the warrior and not the warrior, you know? Yeah. Um, but I definitely think it's a work in progress, and yeah. um, I've I got a, I've got two different coaches. So I started to go down the life coach route. Um, so I had a, a sort of one that works with business and sort of marketing mm -hmm. and um, just like I say branding, but sh it, she really helped me just open up my mind to think big. You know, like Amazing. do not put limiting beliefs on yourself. And Tony Robbins says um, so. Self belief, sorry, belief. So your belief systems, like whatever you. Uh, your values are like belief systems are just BS they're just bullshit mm. because you've just put this limiting belief system you've like programmed this bullshit basically which is your belief system in your mm. brain and it's just about like shaking that up and reprogramming mm. it for something elevated higher better and more in line with actually your true self mm. um, and so I really feel that's the path I'm on with you know working with a coach and I've got another coach who's a little bit more she's a little bit more spiritual a bit more holistic yeah. and so I get two totally different um, sort of they're saying the same things but in different ways yeah. and sometimes I need to, she's the holistic um, sort of more spiritual one she's just she's absolutely amazing and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if it wasn't for those two coaches given me those two different um, angles on things Amazing. and just really helping me to build my self-belief really and I think self-belief is is it is absolutely everything mm -hmm. in life I think it doesn't matter what job you do and I absolutely. think in our job it's just battered down so much from yeah. day mm -hmm. dot um, yeah. and it's just about having that mental robustness and resilience to and under and actually understanding that there's it's really simple it's a really simple process to reprogram your brain but you just have to kind of be open to do it do research and like follow it through yeah. and I think it's as really as it can be it sounds might sound a bit I don't know as simple as that but it like there is proven techniques to like simply change your state yeah. like if you think if you put if you're in a bit of a nowadays what I do is in the morning I put music on straight away I've got this playlist from the Tony Robbins event that I just put on straight away because it's all the BPM of it is like super up there. Mm -hmm. It's high intensity. It's up the lyrics and everything, and my my state, you know, my mood has changed. So my whole day's changed. Yeah. You know, like it's it's real simple things that you can do, and I think these sort of techniques and really simple things should be implemented from the the beginning, Absolutely. so that you can actually take the rejection, take that director telling you this, that, and whatever. And you know, say cool, and just let it wash off, water for ducks, ducks back, as it were. And mm. you know, and you're you you as a as an entity, as a thing in in the middle of all that, is just like a pillar of like just boom, just you are there, you're still, you're, you know, what I mean, you can take whatever, you can take the wind, the rain, you, do you know what I mean? You can yeah. just stay really strong and certain in what you're doing. 
and that is taking me about 12 years to get to and I still have days where I waver definitely but I I would I would be really passionate about helping to instill that into Mm. people that are starting out that's incredible that's what you just said you you mentioned your two coaches is that um, in person is that in London or is that in through like Skype or whatever how how does well, that work? There was a there was a good three years there when I was just travelling for work so much. So I was like in mm. China, I was in America, I was in Germany, I was in London. Love so that. I ended up just and it was fab, but also with that comes like, where am I? What time zone is yeah. it? I don't know what I'm doing, who am I? You know, yeah. what you know, where's my pants? Sort of thing. <laughs> like, you're like well, simple things become really difficult. Yeah. But then so then what happened was I just end up speaking to them on the phone. Um and we just do like a sort of Skype thing or mm. Facebook thing and 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 or like even just whatsapp you know and a lot of them are quite there there for me if i just would text them and be like oh i've got this happening today and i'm feeling a bit oh and 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 it's about not being totally codependent on them Mm -hmm. and you know so it's just about having that little nudge in the right direction i think all they've done is i've just been like if i could tell you what my hands are doing they're going everywhere <laughs> and they've just sort of put like one barrier there and one barrier there and just sort of kept, nudged me back into lane yeah like a little ping pong yeah, just be like yeah, and just got made the lanes ever so slightly smaller and smaller and smaller yeah. and it just kept when I'm ping ponging off everything and left right and centre they just ping pong me back back into the middle and then the other one does the other thing do you know what I mean if that makes yeah. sense like just to sort of keep you, keep you. On, in your lane like you know? air hockey yeah oh yeah exactly that That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, and and because everyone does go yeah. like left right and yeah. center and off the rails a bit as yeah, it were and yeah. they just helped give me a lane Fantastic. and have kept me in that for the last couple of years and I think I think I'll always work with somebody in that yeah. way I think That's it's okay. I think everybody should have some sort of coach that they can just yeah counselor coach whatever is right for you I think you know there's nothing wrong with that and and if you think about it I might be going off track a little bit but like if someone's a footballer do they have a coach yeah they do Mm. if you if you need your car fixed do you do you just leave it to like go into disarray and despair Mm. and leave it or do you take it to get his MOT done Mm. like for me talking to a life coach or reading a book or going to an event is like me MOTing myself, yeah. you know, and just keeping the engine running. Yeah, absolutely. Hello, it's Stephen from King Manual Therapy in Covent Garden, and I'm going to talk to you today about why we pair singing lessons and vocal massage. This is a unique service in London, and we pair singing lessons with vocal massage to keep the vocal athlete, the professional vocalist, in top condition. This means that you are going to get an audition through and know you can nail it. All the details for how to book in for your joint vocal massage and singing lesson are on my website, which is www.kingmanualtherapy.com. Okay, so we spoke about it a little bit before, but um, what made you decide to move more down the choreography route rather than the performance route? Um, obviously, creating is really important to you, and does this have a, an impact on your mental health? Um, I well, yeah, like as I said earlier, I'd I actually got to Lippa and had no intention to choreograph. On our first year, we got given a choreographic task, and I freaked out. I was like, I do not like this. I don't want to do this. Hate this. I, this is not why I came here. I was like, no, I like, absolutely de- just detested it. It's horrible, horrible experience. <laughs> and then by 
the second year we had to do, I'd started to do my break dancing, I started mm. to get really confident in that area mm-hmm. and like just loved everything about it. Um, and for some reason we had to do, well, we had to do another second year um, choreographic task and it was in a theatre and um, everyone had to do like a 10 minute piece and and I, I, I think, I don't know, something opened up for me and I'm not quite sure, I think I saw something by John Z. D. and he's he sort of cr- helped develop and create hip hop theatre in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, now worldwide. And I think I saw a show that he did called um, Spray in Manchester at the Lowry. And it was it was basically hip hop theatre and it was breakdancers on stage, telling a story to music. And there was also a mix of like some contemporary and I thought, oh, this is like, I want to do that. That's like really cool. Because mm-hmm. um, it was com- kind of combining two things that I love to do, which was live theatre and, and hip hop at the time. So in the second year project, that's what I did. I did my, my first ever hip hop theatre piece and sort of used projection and like used spray cans and did like a little okay. stomp thing and then like some breaking and and like a projection screen where we danced and made graffiti. And, so, and I did lots of research and really loved the fact that I was making something. At that time, now you're talking like 12 years ago, mm-hmm actually, oh gosh, maybe about 15 years ago now. And hip hop theatre really wasn't, mm. it was very at the early stages of it. So it was quite different and new and like, it was really quite exciting at the time. For me, it still is, but at the time I was like, I just felt like that's my niche. Um, and it just got really well, it was really well responded. You know, people responded really well to it. And um, and then by the third year, I, I made another piece um, sort of off my own back. I got a big wall structure made, at, like, cause at Lippa you can combine all the different um, courses okay. and so set design. I spoke to them and got them to make, build me this massive wall, and wow. it spoke with like his, uh, projection people and did another like hip hop development on from what I'd done already, um, and just sort of loved. Um, I don't know. I just loved to combine and like. I loved being able to put hip hop on stage because mm. I felt like it wasn't. I'd always realized and could feel that it was like quite an underrepresented culture now I mean we've got breakdancing it's going to be at the Olympics the next Olympics breakdancing really? is going to be in the Olympics yeah Amazing. as a as a category as a sport, as a sport. that's incredible yeah wow. so now hip-hop is just gonna it's, like not, it's yeah. completely different but like you know you're talking 15 years ago 12 years ago um it, I just felt like I really wanted to be part of that movement to bring mm. it to the stage and to show how amazing it can be and how versatile it is and you can tell a story through it rather than it being seen as this sort of lesser than uh, mm. genre of mm. like the industry and, and creative arts so yes yeah, so I just really enjoyed putting that on stage and um, and then I think as I said earlier I just sort of found that I was as a, as a performer I just had a completely different head on me when I was so when I was creating things I felt I was still had my you know my doubts about what I could do and couldn't do but it was a lot less than when I was a performer and just felt far more comfortable stepping back and felt really comfortable to say, no, I don't like that, let's change it mm. to this. And actually, can you two go over there? And, and I, like my vision was like, I, I have like, I can see the big picture and how mm. like, how it can look or should look or how it can develop and how it can get there. Mm. And I got a real kick out of seeing something from an idea um, and watch it happen, you know, be part of making it happen, but physically watching my idea from my head get onto the dancers and then become this big picture of a show or whatever that is. Um, and 
and, and so you know that's kind of why I, I just noticed this difference of when I'm a, when I'm a performer yes it's nice to perform and I, mm. I enjoy moving physically with people mm. it's all about being really physical for me and I really enjoyed that um, and being like in sync with someone and doing a duet with someone I love all that but actually that that was where it really and to travel with work that's another reason why I like mm. to perform because you get to travel here yeah. there and everywhere but that was there wasn't much more than that you know some people it's a real artistry to like express what mm. they want to express physically actually I just had the vision more than I had that yeah. so um, and just sort of really started to go with that route more especially the last three years yeah um, and and just feel really comfortable like yeah. just telling people what to do <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and I, I just I, I, I yeah I, I don't really question my uh, question myself as much I do obviously everybody mm, does yeah. this when you're creating something you've got to question yourself but way way less uh, than when mm. I was a performer so mm. um, I just feel a bit more confident there yeah. and I think that's not well, a bad thing so absolutely. yeah absolutely. Um, clearly had a positive impact on your mental health then yeah, yeah definitely I can understand that from mm. what you're saying like yeah why absolutely. that would mm-hmm. as well yeah yeah and not everyone's that comfortable to, mm. to tell people what to do or to yeah. suggest things or change things or be that person at the front where everybody's looking at. Mm. Actually, it's interesting because when you're at the front of the studio in a rehearsal and you've got the whole cast are like, they just look at you, yeah. Yeah. look at All you and eyes. wait for like to be told what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and it's interesting because then when you're the performer... You've got all the audience looking at you, just waiting for you to do something, and it's like it's almost it's it's similar. It's similar but different, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just I really enjoy seeing a show go from an idea to on stage, and I just I think that's like theatre magic. I love all that more so than getting the applause at the end as a performer. Yeah. Yeah, But you still get the applause. Yeah. It's I get such a like, and I think it's also I love like connecting with people, and I Mm -hmm. feel. You connect with people as a creative totally differently. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know yeah. when you when you really go through, it's different. It, you know you, you connect with people as a before other performers, mm. but I think there's a real collaborative thing of talking to the sound guy, the lighting guy, the yeah. set design, the costume, mm-hmm. the director, the the mm-hmm. SM, like whoever. I just think I like all that teamwork as well yeah. that goes into um, putting everything together. Yeah, and I like the high pressure. It's a, a lot. It's obviously Plus. pressure being a performer, but I feel like it's it's like next level pressure yeah, to, yeah. to really make something yeah. happen. Because yeah, if, if you don't push it, the performers are you know they're not. It's not their job to push it along. It's their mm. job to do what you tell them to yeah. do. Yeah. So it's just you know I like that sort of energy that everyone's getting to come together and the disagreements yeah. and the, um, exactly. when you're not disagreeing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. So yeah, amazing. Um, so you are also a presenter uh-huh. as well. Can you not tell me how much I'm gabbing away? I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> um, so if you could tell us a little bit just about the um, presenting and why you love it, and um, going back to earlier on when I mentioned what well, you mentioned about how there's doing a stigma both. attached to doing lots yeah. of different things, um, and I feel like there is definitely a stigma attached in the arts to just doing one thing and sticking to that path. Um, especially when you look at people at the top of the ladder like Phoebe Waller-Bridge for example mm-hmm. who's writer, actress, then directs all this magic yeah. and even like Bradley Cooper for example the, all these incredible high high up people mm-hmm. do all these different things yet I feel like it, this kind of 
level and especially in the theatre arts you know there's a stigma attached to actors being agent assistants for example mm-hmm. or actors being production assistants mm-hmm. and it's like well there's this thing attached to oh, well, well what are you then you know mm-hmm. what why are you doing that or you obviously don't take one as seriously as the other um and I think that is an issue because then it gives it doesn't give people a lot of really chance well. to to express mm-hmm. um so what what's your 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 thoughts on that as someone who does, does a lot yeah. yeah I um it was actually the one of the coaches that um I have the more the business side of one I just started working with her and I was about to give up everything I was about to give up, give up dancing and I'd started an interior design <laughs> here we go mm. I am like Jane of all trades I so then I started an interior design company and I was like that's what I'm going to do I'm going to stop dancing stop the career and move on like I've done and she called me up, she's like, out of the blue, I hadn't really spoken to her on the like on the phone personally yet. And she said, Why are you not on TV? And I was like, Sorry, what? Who are you? And she's like, Oh, it's Judy May. Uh, why am I not why are you you know, we need to get you on TV? And I was like, Well, what? How? Yeah, and yeah. and she sort of like really opened my mind of like there are other options out there within the industry without just being a dancer or in musicals or, mm. or dancing behind a pop artist. Um and and then she's okay just make a couple of videos and she sent them to a few of her industry friends and she got really good feedback so that's that sort of built my confidence a little bit to be like okay well maybe I'll go into this a bit more and just start chatting for a living and um and so I really enjoy it because I like to chat and I like to get to know people and I love doing interviews because I, I genuinely like I'd, like before we started recording yeah. I was starting to interview you guys I just yeah. really I'm really <laughs> interested like also how did you arrive here and why have you done this and what made you do that and mm-hmm. like how did you do that and uh, like I find all that stuff genuinely interesting because I love connecting with people yeah. and so I find the presenting in that sense that's all that is that that's not not that that's all that is mm-hmm. but that's part a big part of it is to connect with people either through the camera about a, pa- a project or a, an issue or something that I'm passionate about or in interviews um, and I've done a lot of like live event hosting, mm. which is really fun. And again, all the things that I've learned from being a performer, I just exactly transfer yeah. it into being a TV uh, TV presenter or a host or whatever, because things are happening every second. I mean, I just did an event recently, live host, like hosting a live event mm. for, for um, charity and, and like the sound wasn't working or like, can you just go fill for one minute 30? And I was like, right okay and, and how yes. many times I've like stood on stage and like you know when I was a bit younger and like the wrong song comes on and it, it's like there's always been technical issues mm. throughout the entire my career yeah. so it's like all right cool and, and you just roll with it because the, the skill of what you've learned as a performer to like switch it on when you need to just can transfer to that pretty simply mm-hmm. um, so I actually find it really fun I, I like the fact that my body can rest a little bit yeah. you know um, and it, it's I, I don't yeah I just like connecting with people I like making them feel comfortable and like you know just ch- chatting away and, and that seems to work quite well for the presenting yeah. but there is definitely you know if I'm, I am trying to at the moment I'm, I am juggling being seen as a creative and a choreographer and as a presenter and host and you know you might look at them and think well they're not related at all but I, I just think I, and I for years would struggle with being a hip-hop dancer but looking very feminine and I, I really really got really struggled with that when I was younger going into castings and mm-hmm. 
I was just so frustrated that people would put me in a box by how I looked. And I was like, actually, I just want to do what the boys are doing over there, like because yeah. it's much more like my sort of thing rather than dancing in heels mm. or doing the salsa bit that's the female bit. I want to like be doing all the jumps and the yeah. floor stuff. So I've always, I've really, really struggled with, you know, feeling that I'm way more than just one thing. And I love doing lots of different things and getting into different things. So. Mm. You know, it. I've, I have struggled with exactly that feeling that you said of, oh, will I be taken seriously because mm. I'm not doing just that or just this? Um, and at the end of the day, I'm just like, fuck it. Like, I really, mm. I know I'm good at that and I'm good at this. And yeah. until the day comes when I don't want to do this and I'll do that instead, right now, I like to do both and I'm going to pursue both to the best that I can. And maybe for a couple of months, I'll be focusing more on the choreography mm. and then the next couple of months, it'll be a little bit more on the presenting. And, mm. Um, it's you know one will one will always be a bit more important at a certain time than the other but I, I absolutely see nothing wrong with people uh, you know being more than one thing I'm also writing a musical I don't yes! Know, my bus- yes my business card literally says choreographer presenter writer and I'm like do you know what Amazing. you can take it or leave it and and Please. that's that is kind of like that's what I'm advertising myself and that's Incredible. that's it that's what I'm doing and I just think people need to own all those different yeah. skills that you have because yeah. the world is not how it used to be 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, we are in this world where you can be all these things and still be good at all those things. Mm-hmm. You know, look at um, Hades Town. She's the writer of the music, the the, mm-hmm. the lyrics, and she wrote the book, I think. I'm sure she wrote all three. And I'm like, like why not? I just like don't understand Manuel. why not. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't see, I think nowadays... You need to just move on, move with the times, and the times is Absolutely. you can do whatever the hell you want to do. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I want to applaud you. Like, that was like, you're incredible. Absolutely. That that will help so many people. That mm, I really hope it does it because will. I'm really passionate about that. Because I, I struggled for years mm. thinking that I couldn't do that, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, just do exactly what you want to do. Amazing. And if that is, you know, engineering on your in the weekend mm. and performing at the West End during the week then do that do it you know absolutely incredible so we've spoken about this with a few other creatives um is there somewhere that a creative can go who isn't an actor to get help for mental health within the industry and if there isn't what would this look like for you well I mean I I off the top of my head wouldn't know where to go myself um although I think because it's mental health awareness week there's been a few things on twitter and things i've seen mm. and obviously you guys that's what you're definitely pushing for um so it is starting to like bubble more i think you can mm. sort of see things kicking about on the internet a bit more i have no idea actually off the top of my head where i would go um but i'm i'm in myself quite interested in creating like a sort of mastermind group i'd like to call mm. it rather than a support group yeah. um and it's just a, a sort of mastermind way to get like-minded people that are going through the same things and, and to sort of, yeah, find a solution to all of that and, mm. and really come together and like build something new that is on offer for people rather than there not being anything. Yeah. And sort of, you know, and I think, I think bringing together some, some like-minded people is like really powerful, mm. whatever the, this, the mm. topic is. Um, but I think having a space or a sort of hub where people could actually go like central London you know you've got pineapple around the corner we're in equity and you know you've got theatres left right and centre around here Mm. you know just somewhere people could just meet up and be like yeah this is for this is like the mastermind group that we kind of either just come in and chat or we like sort of push each other to get 
like you know somewhere to go where you just it's like a little bit like an AA yeah <laughs> but you know you do just, it like monthly or how regularly I think I don't know maybe fortnightly would be yeah. quite cool just to sort of just to check in and, and it's sort of free to come along if you want maybe there's some Prosecco mm. you know or not you know and, and just to like really because there's one thing talking about the problem like yes we have to talk about the problems so people are aware of it 100% mm. but I'm all about like growth and moving mm. forward and I think you know we definitely need to raise awareness and then we need to grow and mm. like push everything to the next step which is not 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 allowing this for the next generation mm. of performers to wait 12 15 years before they can get their head a bit straight yeah. you know and like how do we do that and i think bringing together people that have been through it like like we're doing like you're doing uh, and really like like looking at the growth mm. of and pushing forward and like getting really get people motivated to like find a solution and you know get out what we need to talk about and then use that as the sort of propel yeah. to, to get the growth for the, the whole industry. It needs to grow. It's time yeah, to grow yeah, yeah. now. Absolutely. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think helping the younger generation is like I want to do that more. So I don't know some sort of like group mastermind groups in yeah. place. Like a, a, a sort of a safe space as they call yeah. it. Safe space. But um with that with it in mind to to push forward and like move Ooh. move like what's the future gonna be yeah yeah for sure what more could we do as an industry to support mental health especially for creatives and people behind the curtain hmm what more could we do a lot more mm. we could do a lot lot more I think um getting getting them while they're young I think we need to get in their year the first year of their degree and like teach them how to and to teach them about the self-development industry because it's a huge booming industry right now and it will continue I fully believe we're going into what's called the information age mm. and the self-development is huge on that um, and gone will be the day when people will go to get degrees and stuff like that they're going to people who have lived it and done it and they want to learn from them directly and it's called the information age and I think mm. we need to that's going to happen over the next five years and it's already started so we need to now use that and and go back and go right back to your people that are in year one and and start with these tools simple tools on how to change your energy how to you know how to look at your self-belief or your belief system which is actually what we know now know is bullshit you know yeah. and change it and like like change it and you know redefine it reprogram it so that when they leave not only is their body and their t- tools and their singing is like their CV and their photos is all like banging but they've got like this like super strong mindset to be like I'm fucking ready to yeah. like take on this incredibly difficult industry you know exactly what it's like and I think yeah I think if you literally get them while they're young yeah. and when they're going in there at 16 and they're still sort of yeah. so young you know so young to to really be able to withstand to have a long lasting decades long career mm-hmm. if that's what they want yeah. um Absolutely. But I think I think offering sort of um, yeah many more li- phone call you know a phone number people can call or uh, like a mastermind group like we talked about or listen to more podcasts like this I think that's all things that will help mm. our generation but what's really the next step is the younger generation yeah. and that's what I think can help the entire industry mm-hmm. if you go yeah. back and get those people that are starting out absolutely. Yeah. 
Last question. <laughs> Could you walk into a room today and say I'm having a bad mental health day? Oh, oh that is a tough question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know if I'd use the words bad mental health day. Yeah. But I think I'm aware enough now in myself to be okay with saying I'm just having a bit of a bad day or I'm just having a bit of a bad moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would feel okay with saying that now if I knew that I wasn't on top form and, and needed to be for some reason. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yes, I say that with a slight sort of question mark, yeah. but, um, you know, it, I think that takes quite a lot to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, you know, I think it's okay to say you're not okay. Yeah, yeah so, and I think I've learned now, I'm a, I'm a bit older, <laughs> hopefully a little bit wiser that you know I can sort of I think I've learned to get myself out of that state uh quicker like it used to for me I used to suffer it would last me sometimes weeks sometimes a month I just have really dark chunks of time Mm -hmm. and now I can get it down to like maximum half a day which Mm -hmm. is I think people need to it's so beneficial for people to learn that process to get Mm -hmm to help them maybe get down from a whole week's worth of depression to 10, ten like you know 10 minutes or half a day or a day mm-hmm. and that can just propel their life so much further forward so I think I'm okay now to be able to say that but it's only because I've done all the work and I've and I'm you know but I'm way more confident I've changed my belief system so I like I know that it's all right. It's just it's just a season because everything passes. Everything passes. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything changes. So it's like now I know it'll pass, yeah. but I just help it along to pass a bit quicker. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. So. Absolutely amazing. Zia, thanks so much. You're very we welcome. Have, we have one more game to play with you. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. This is our game of finish the sentence. Oh, okay. Yeah. Record time. Come on, right? Come on. <laughs> My favorite press night drink is prosecco. The first thing I do when I wake up is... Drink coffee. My favourite underground line is... Your what? My favourite underground line is... The Bakerloo. Ooh! A piece of advice I would give to 16-year-old me is... Go read a self-development book, yeah! Yeah. (laughs) When I moved to London, I wish I'd realised that... It costs so much fucking money to live here. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Mental health to me is... Having a bad day that is okay. Yeah. Everyone should be more... Confident. In the future, I want to help people be more confident. <laughs> my favourite clothes shop is. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I like my clothes. Oh, my favourite one, whistles. I don't know. Oh yeah, I love the whistles yeah. dress. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was excellent time. Oh yes, for the finished. I think oh, that's oh. a world record. Oh, yeah, we should start timing. Yeah, oh, we should. Doing a little game and then give a winner in like the series. Yes. yes. Okay, okay, we'll record this. We'll record this. <laughs> Zina, thank you so much for joining us. Very it's welcome. been an absolute pleasure yeah. to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Industry Minds, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to listen to our new episodes, which are out every Thursday. If you are interested in our counselling service, please email maryindustryminds at gmail.com or just get in touch with us. For news on future guests and events, oi oi, please check out our Instagram and Twitter accounts over at Industry Minds UK. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with you soon. Have a great week.